Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. 
you'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and I'm reaching back to my NorCal days and the awesome folks that I got to jump and play with out there. So with no further ado, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hello, good morning. Uh, I am Ryan Brownlow. Uh, I am a a canopy pilot with uh, Team Alter Ego, and uh, when I'm not doing that, I uh, design software. Uh, in Northern California, Brownlow, man, it's been a long time. We haven't uh, we haven't spoken in in eight or ten years at least. It has been quite a while. It's good to chat with you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose the whole Facebook messaging back and forth kind of counts, I guess, in modern day world. You know, I mean, we're all locked inside anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how we've probably mostly kept up. But uh, just a few minutes uh, chatting before this, uh, I think we had we got more more back and forth than we've had in, in a long time. In a long, long time, in a long time. So um, obviously keeping busy out there, you're doing the software stuff, so COVID is allowing you still to work, I would imagine. Yeah, I've been able to keep working from home and uh, my wife as well. So uh, we've been pretty lucky in that regard. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. Nice. Well, and it's the, um, I, I think I jokingly on a, a message called you guys the super couple. For those that don't know, uh, Jesse Vandershaw Brownlow, also a badass skydiver as well. How's she doing? She's doing pretty good. Uh, I tried to get her to join us this morning, uh, but she was a little shy. Um, <laughs> she's, uh, she's now uh, taking our son to school right now, so uh She's uh, holding down the fort. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we're gonna jump right in. I want to find out. Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to where you're at now, especially with alter ego and the swoop and stuff. But I want to know how you got started. As always, uh, what drove you towards uh, doing you know extreme style stuff and especially skydiving. Yeah, cool. So um, my dad was a skydiver. Uh, he started back in the early '70s and jumped for quite a while. Um, and then he stopped jumping when my, my older sister was born. And then he started back jumping again uh, when I was like 14 or 15. Um, and so at that time he introduced me, took me out to the drop zone, uh, to start packing. And so I started packing parachutes, uh, when I was in high school, uh, making more money than everybody else that was working at pizza restaurants and stuff. And, uh, just was obviously, uh, drawn into, you know, the, the skydiving world and, uh, the boogie parties and things like that. Not that I was partying then, but kind of saw the scene that my dad was hanging out in and, and looked like a lot of fun. Sure. Um, but I never really was interested in actually skydiving at that time. Um, this was at Skydive Carolina, by the way. Shout out to Danny Smith. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so when I moved out to California, um, I saw people uh, on the big screen free flying. And uh, I had never really seen that before uh, when I was at Skydive Carolina. And I really was drawn into it at that point and just dove in full, full, full speed um, and started basically living on the couch in Byron for from Thursday through Sunday wow. and uh, 
never never looked back. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, so I mean, that's a young age to get introduced to the to the skydiving world, especially if you're there doing the packing stuff and and seeing the environment. I mean, the the uh, vibe of skydiving at 14 years old must have been so incredibly cool. Yeah, it was really interesting and uh, kind of really saw the close friendships that my dad had with his group of skydiving friends. Uh, and again, was just something different than I had seen with all of my other friends, parents, and things like that. Um, it just kind of was obvious uh, the unique uh, relationship that that skydiving kind of brings to people. Sure, sure. Now, what, what was uh, do, had you ever talked to your dad and found out what the mentality behind stopping jumping when he uh, was having your sister was? Yeah, I think he just. Uh, well, I think in the seventies, like skydiving might have been slightly more dangerous than it is these days. Um, and he, uh, at least in his perception, and, uh, he decided it'd be a good idea to kind of, uh, stop for a while to make sure he got, uh, us to the age where we'd be able to take care of ourselves if anything happened to him. Uh, and then when he got back into it, uh, he, he never looked back either. He was, uh, he's actually, uh, uh, was, he was sick and he was dying. So he was kind of just, uh, going hardcore until the end. And, uh. And he uh, was just loved it, man. He jumped all the time. It was back in the day when like sit suits were cool, <laughs> and he was jumping a stilet- stiletto when stilettos <laughs> were the, the badass canopy. Right. And uh, just I could really see his his passion for it. It was it was very obvious. Wow, it's it's unfortunate that uh, um, he you know kind of renewed the fire for the sport while he was was sick and dealing with that kind of stuff. But what an amazing thing to be able to do. I mean. I think that's kind of the daydream of all skydivers, right? If we're getting old and sick, we want to be jumping our ever-loving asses off. You know, I always promised myself I'd go out and be a hardcore base jumper if I knew I was, you know, facing the the end times. So it sounds like he kind of had his version of that. Yeah, I mean, I remember like the last couple summers and he was going to, to boogies all over the place and uh, he, he was leaving us at home alone. Like, you guys are old enough to figure it out. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. No, fuck that. I mean, uh, especially knowing the sport as well as we do now, that's exactly what you would want for somebody that was in his situation. So that's really cool. Yeah. And uh, there was one time after he was kind of like uh, uh, two weeks to jump by himself and he went and did a tandem and all his friends came out with him. And again, it was just like a really obvious how close to the community it was. And uh, it was just great. Like I've, I've, I witnessed it then, and then as I've been in it in my life, I've, I've seen the same thing. Like it's, a, it's a real thing, and uh, it's a great thing to be a part of. It's, oh, yeah. So, him, him sharing skydiving with me is, is the best thing that's ever happened to me, really. What well, has to be. I mean, that's kind of the gift that uh, for you will always be there. That's the one thing you'll always have between you and your dad, even though, unfortunately, he's not here anymore. I mean, that's something he gave you that's g- going to continue to give back to you your whole life. Totally, yeah, and it's... I think like 95% of the people I'm friends with are skydivers and that's how I met my wife. And it's, it's, uh, even though these days I'm not jumping quite as much as I was back in the day, it's, uh, it's still a huge part of my life. Sure. Isn't that weird though? I mean, uh, um, I, I mean, I've got fuck 25 years in the sport now. So basically half of my life and I'm, I think I'm the same as you. 98% of people outside of family that are in my friend circle are all skydivers or at least retired skydivers. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like, uh, a lot of the people I work with, um, and I've worked with for a while, uh, where I definitely have friends, but it's not the same type of friendship. Right. 
it's it's the, it's very difficult to try and explain to somebody that hasn't been in it um, the kind of bond that you get and get so quickly. I mean, I'm sure you have the same thing. The friends that I made in skydiving, I made quick, and they've become incredible friends over my entire life. Yep, yep. And some of the most uh, inspirational people as well, you know, just uh, mostly really good people, really uh, – inspirational people who are who are going big and and uh, teaching me to go big as well like when i first got into it i was pretty young so a lot of the people i hung out with are 10 years older than me sure uh and they've become my best friends you know which is uh, it's one of the cool things about the the sport too is it kind of breaks down the the differences really quickly i mean whether it's differences in in work or mentality or race or religion or any of that kind of stuff kind of fades relatively quickly in skydiving and it all boils down to um what kind of jumps are you doing uh what kind of canopy are you flying and when can you make it to the drop zone <laughs> yeah exactly which is fucking yeah. cool well, what kind of beer do you like to drink? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so now you, you you start super early and then you end up, uh, you do your jumps there where your dad was or you start jumping in California? I forget. So uh, I did a couple of tandems uh, in, at Skydive Carolina when I was uh, 18, 19, maybe 18. And uh, I was I never really started at AFF. Uh, but when I came out to uh, Byron in California, Barry Skydiving, um Right when I got there, I was packing parachutes, and maybe like a month later, was their Byron boogie, mm. and that's when I saw like this epic free fly party going on. And in the early 2000s or 1999, this was uh, the free fly scene up here, and still is, was amazing. Mm. Um, and just like a lot of the people uh, that you can think of as legend, legendary free flyers were were around, and uh, I saw people dumping out of the back of sky vans and shooting to the formation and like i just didn't see that when i was watching belly flying videos no offense sure and uh and uh it just opened my eyes to like the freedom and the awesomeness of what flying your body could be and and uh that really excited me and i kind of like didn't even realize you know sometimes you get into something and you don't even realize that you're you're diving all in but yeah i look back five years later and realized that i didn't have any girlfriends outside of skydiving or inside of skydiving either right uh i just was solely focused on this one thing like school didn't matter to me other jobs didn't matter i just was uh all in without ever really even making the conscious decision i think that was kind of the same with me as well i started roughly around the same time and this was about the time that uh, uh all the chronicles free fly videos were coming out and and olav and omar yeah. and, and mike vale and all these guys were doing this almost alien shit um that you'd watch these videos going how in the fuck is this happening and how can i learn how to do that and without even knowing it uh, i'm you know in a crash in a trailer in uh, the ghetto in Paris Valley, um, you know, on a regular basis, or I'm filming sky surfers, or next thing you know, I'm filming tandems and throwing drogues, and I don't remember making that decision either. It just kind of fucking happened. Yeah, and those guys, man, like Chronicles, all three of those VHS oh. tapes at that time, I wore those things out, man. I can't even tell you how many times I watched those videos. Right. And then to be able to go, to, go down and meet those guys, and being super young and impressionable, I was like, uh, those guys were my heroes. For oh sure. yeah, man. I mean, it, it all kind of came, there was this, uh, almost an instant culture that, uh, that grew up right around that same time. Cause it was those guys in the Chronicles videos, the bands like sublime that became the soundtrack, uh, for all that kind of stuff. And then fucking South park all at the same time. So I remember, 
<laughs> having never seen South Park before, I wasn't a weed smoker or anything, but here I am in my buddy's uh, shitty trailer in Paris Valley getting stoned watching South Park and waking up to go jump watching the Flyboys racing to catch back-to-back loads going – what the fuck? <laughs> you know, and it was just the most amazing, exciting thing because you felt like you were there at the beginning of something because free flying was really taking off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I pulled up to, to Paris, it was like probably 10 o'clock at night. And it was one, during one of the Flyboys film festivals. And uh, they just had that tent set up out in the landing area with a giant sound system was booming <laughs> away. Yep. And people were partying it up. And again, I was super young and impressionable. And I was like, uh, I had a friend with me from that, from South Carolina and uh, his, his interpretation was much different than mine. He was kind of uh, a little afraid of the scene, but I was ready just to jump, jump right in. Right. And, uh, I certainly did. <laughs> well, I remember cause I started going to Paris Valley very young in my time in the sport. And I remember being very intimidated by the skill level and being intimidated by the jumping itself. But the scene was this hugely attractive thing. And same as you, you, that party scene was just so over the top you're just like what people are doing what (laughs) holy shit you know uh and it uh it was the the whole thing just wrapped up into one just kind of whomped you up the side of the head and next thing you know you're 10 years into it (laughs) yeah it's interesting because like that party scene is is pretty intense but at the same time like uh I, i think skydiving was what saved me from from partying too much like uh you always had to be ready to go uh, early morning, Saturday and Sunday. So like, I don't know, like, I, I think it stopped me from like drinking too much and things like that. I, I was uh, always more, more focused on being ready to sky the next day. Not sure. to say that I didn't party my ass off. I think when you're younger, you can kind of uh, punish yourself and still still get up early. Yeah, but, you uh, can kind of get away with but, it. Yeah, but when I look back on it, I think that I probably would have uh, gone down a different, more... Uh, more destructive path if it wasn't for skydiving. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and I think that the big thing with skydiving is that although people let loose in a huge way once the sun goes down and the beer light's on, uh, those are the same people that just spent, you know, that eight-hour first jump course teaching people how to be truly responsible and keep themselves safe. And that's the the S&TA is the one hanging from the rafters having this huge party because he's not responsible for anybody. The sun's fucking down. Do what you want to do. Um, but damn it when the sun comes up be ready to jump and be safe or don't be here and i think that was a big thing for me too is you realized oh wait these people kind of have it figured out they've figured out how to split up when you can go ape shit and when you need to you know be careful and it was a really good lesson to learn very early in that sport yeah a little work hard play hard mentality yeah man so you end up in Byron, you're checking out all this stuff. So obviously free flying was grabbing you. Was that your first kind of real passion in the sport was going out and free flying? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's what really showed me what, what could be done or at that time what was being done. And uh, I was, again, super lucky to have really badass free flyers like uh, Mad Style, uh, Kurt Burt, and a couple other like just dudes who had four or 5,000 jumps at that time. Uh who were really good free flyers and really open to teaching people and not like asking for money for coach jumps, but really wanting to kind of bring up the next, the next group of jumpers. And those, those guys did countless jumps with me uh, for free and, and uh, really taught me how, how to free fly. Sure. And uh, we were super lucky to have those guys around. 
and they're still around. Oh, yeah, man. Well, it's funny you say <laughs> Kurt Vert. I mean, I, I, there's very few people that I think are just, uh, you know, the Energizer bunnies of skydiving, but he's absolutely one of them. He was on the very first load I ever jumped. He actually shot video for my girlfriend on my very first skydive. Um, and, oh, wow. uh, oh yeah. And was there when I did all my AFF out of Vegas, uh, loaned me a rig at one point going down to Paris Valley. Kurt was a fucking rock, still is a rock star. I mean, that guy is excited as, as excited to jump today as he was when I was back learning how. Yeah. I think he, he looks like he's the same age too. He right? doesn't age much. Right. <laughs> I think it's the free fall, man. It just blows us all into a slightly younger category. Although some of us are losing our hair quicker than others. <laughs> So, uh, now, yeah. you, did you ever work in the sport, or was it all just fun jumping for you? So, I did a little bit of work. I spent one summer uh, doing tandem video in Colorado uh, on a free fly team with uh, MX, Bill Halsey, and uh, TJ Langren. And uh, we ended up doing a lot more tandem video than, than free fly teaming. But uh, uh, so, I did one summer out there, and I kind of was enough to realize that. Um, I didn't really want to work in the sport because I started just kind of dreading going to the drop zone every day. Sure. It just wasn't, uh, I didn't find it that fun, honestly. Sure. Uh, and I, a lot of, a lot of it had to do with the situation there and not actually doing 10 a video, but, uh, it, it just didn't really work out for me. And I realized that I wanted to keep it as something that was, uh, not, not a, not a job, something fun. Sure. Which is, I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to uh, have a, a sport like this where you can make that, uh, that uh, determination and keep that separate. I was one of the ones that was lucky that I fell into the sport, no pun intended, uh, more in the working side of things, but I loved it. I loved shooting the tandem videos. I loved eventually doing tandems. And so it's a nice mix because I find that a lot of the people that work in the sport do it because they really do love doing it. And if you're just a, a want to be a sport jumper, you find a way to to make it happen and you were lucky enough to know you know something i don't want to keep doing this for work until i burn myself out which is awesome yeah I've, I've seen a lot of people really make it uh look like a lot of fun like uh people doing who are doing cannabis and doing cannabis video who uh, just are really enjoying themselves um and uh i can see the draw like obviously i can see the draw but uh yeah, like I said, I think it was more about my, my specific situation uh, there in Colorado than it was about the actual job itself. Sure. No, well, now, you said you were you were trying to do a free fly team out in Colorado. Did you uh, end up doing team stuff uh, down the road? Yeah, so uh, before that, uh, back in Cali, uh, I was on Team Jank, and we did a free fly team for a couple years um, and ended up doing a couple boogies. Uh, and my teammates, uh, Steve Harkov and Bob Ash, uh, were just, just great teammates to have. They were both, like I said, 10 years older than me and kind of teaching me, uh, how not to be such a big idiot as a young kid. <laughs> right. And, uh, it was really just, uh, half, half, uh, big brothers and half, uh, friendships. You know what I mean? Like just a uh, really great period of my life. Sure. It was awesome. So you did that team um, and, and that was in California. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. That was in. Uh, Barry skydiving and at uh, Skydance. At oh, Skydance, yeah, we're gonna we got a few things to talk about with Skydance for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Well, that's where you and I cross paths. Yep. Yep. That's it. I started. I don't know. Do they? Do they still call it Skydance? I don't know. Maybe I think it's, it's still Skydance. Uh, yeah. I think so. I mean, it's it's uh, Ray sold it. What uh, I want to say, like three years ago now. Yeah, it might even be more than that. Like I said, time flies. I'm not quite sure, but those guys have been around for a while now. But yeah. I haven't made it up there too many, too many times. 
Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I've not I've not been back to Skydance for quite some time, but I, I think I started at Skydance in 2006 jumping. And I did a couple of seasons jumping before I pissed off to Fiji to fly some, and then I came back and ended up flying for a few years. But Skydance was, man, I, I seem to manage to show up at these cool drop zones at like just the right time when the scene is just amazing. And Skydance was the yeah. same because when I showed up there, the crew that was at Skydance when I was there was incredible. Yeah, I had a lot of fun there, um, and we were allowed to do a lot of cool stuff. And you know, I guess uh, a lot of people might have some some things to say about Ray as the owner, but uh, he, if you know who he is, his history in the sport, he's a pretty pretty legendary character, yeah. and uh, definitely like uh, my favorite asshole, kind of like. Oh yeah, man! <laughs> I say that with with all the. <laughs> Dude, uh, you know, I've actually told this story on the podcast before when I showed up to the drop zone in 06 to uh, try and just throw drugs as much as they would let me. Um, I actually had to have an interview with Ray uh, and I sat down and was telling him my history in the sport. And I started working um, in Las Vegas and worked for Michael Hawks, uh, who was by and large considered the biggest cocksucker in the entire sport like everybody thought that and so he saw um oh you work for michael hawks huh and he saw you you must be able to work in tough conditions and that's when it kind of clicked and i'm like all right you're gonna have to play this one way or another because you know ray you can't read the guy he might fucking love you or hate you but he's gonna sit there and you have no idea so I decided, fuck it, I'm going to go in all for broke. And I smiled and I said, uh, Mr. Farrell, if you're half the asshole, or pardon me, if you're twice the asshole you say you are, you're still only half the asshole he is. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and he kind of looked at me and then did that fucking Ray laugh and stood up and shook my hand. He's all right, you can work for me. And it's yeah, true. at the end of the day, he's a good guy. He's he a great guy, a lot man. Of shit about man, the guy, the guy put me to work when he didn't know me from Adam. He put me in the plane and gave me my first turbine literally the moment that my logbook uh, hit 1,000 hours when he didn't have to do any of that stuff. And I am far from the only person he gave amazing opportunities to. So uh, I, for, especially me, can't bitch about people being grumpy because I'm a grumpy old asshole too. Yeah, the older we get, the, the grumpier we get, that's for sure. Right. I think uh, it's worked out pretty well for him as far as I understand. I think he's retired to Florida and is uh, living the good life from what yeah, I hear. Yeah, man. I just uh, I had a conversation with him not that long ago. He's enjoying retired life, and he still runs a fleet of aircraft, uh, leasing them out and, and doing the, the skydiving stuff with those aircraft. And he spends a lot of time doing some fishing and enjoying the sun in Florida and still being a grumpy old bastard. Yeah, I went through the uh, the rigging course in his loft and uh, ended up having some some pretty good conversations with him. And uh, before that, I didn't really realize his his history in the sport with like early tandem skydiving and stuff. Oh yeah, um, and re- really is one of the the pioneers of tandem skydiving and uh, is uh, at least commercially. And uh, if you don't know the history or anybody listening, like uh, try to try to dig around and find some about Ray Farrell because he's got some good old stories. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and uh, if you just jump up to the more modern stuff, too, if you enjoy flying or jumping out of a pack 750, you've got him to thank in a, a solid part, too. I mean, he had a huge amount to do with not just uh, um, getting that plane into the States, but designing the fucking thing. Yeah, I remember when all that was going on. And uh, uh, I, I didn't know exactly all the, the story, but I remember when that one was supposed to come out <laughs> to be the very first in the u.s and didn't quite make it uh tragically yeah. and uh and that that was 
yeah, I guess quite a while ago now. Yeah, man. But, um, I remember him having a lot to do with that. I, uh, I heard the story about that one. Uh, the, the, the long and short of it basically was the ferry pilot that was bringing it back uh, or bringing it to the States from New Zealand. His last stop was Hawaii before California. And uh, he topped up the fuel tanks, and apparently he was getting ready to start, and one of the ground guys told him it looked like he had a fuel leak, and the pilot's like, no, 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 it's just draining out of the uh, out of the drain, it's no big deal, and he blasts off, not knowing that there was a leak in the fuel system. I don't know if it was coming out of the fuel cap or one of the lines, but he got to a couple hundred miles short of the California coast and realized by doing calculations, oh, fuck, I'm not going to make this calls the Coast Guard, who comes and flies in formation with him as he ditches, but apparently he ditched hard enough that it knocked him unconscious and the bird went underwater, and the Coast Guard won't you know, won't pull a bird up to save a dead body, so they just let that poor Pac-750 sink to the bottom with the pilot, and it's still there. Yep. you know. So it didn't quite make it to California, which, on a small side story, when they were flying a tw- uh, Pac-750 from California to Hawaii to lease to one of the uh, the drop zones out there, Ray asked me if I wanted to do the flight with him, and I went, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I could see the hesitation on that, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, That's I'm a like, long flight in a small plane, man. That would be scary. A long flight in a small single-engine plane with no autopilot, and, and uh, yeah, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't need to be doing that shit. Yeah, so, well, that was definitely a shame that, that that worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, it ended up uh, he he got quite the uh, the number of packs in the states as well. And of course, that's the plane that I got to fly for you guys out there and meet the crew that was out there. And man, what a crew Skydance had! Because you were out there, you had um, all the the cast of characters. Jim Matthews was out there. Donnie Brown. I mean, <laughs> just the most amazing people. It was a good time for sure. I feel like that like. It goes in, in uh, like different cycles of different people, but I swear, like, I, I started jumping out Skydance probably like 2002, 2003, all the way through 2009 or 10. Yeah. And uh, just the whole time was just a rotating cast of awesome people and just like different, different times, like the, oh, what did we call the place that the house halfway down the runway that people live? Oh, the, double we called it. The, double the double wide. The double wide. Yeah, like, the double wide. Oh my God. Great times with the double wide. Oh, that was, I mean, that place was just, it had an open door policy. You could, you never had to knock. You just walk in the door and you were always welcome if you had booze. And that was Matthew's place. And Matthew's, I had him on the podcast and he told some of the stories, you know, riding the beacon naked and all this shit. Um, So if you haven't listened to any of the Jim Matthews podcasts, listen to that one and you'll get a really good idea of what life in the double wide was like. Because holy shit. He was, he was, he was oh my God, yes. Well, and then, of course, we, we, we got to talk briefly for sure about Mr. Donnie Brown, the biggest smile and the greatest fucking giggle ever on that drop zone. I've, I've never met in my entire life a more welcoming, smiling, grinning human being than Donnie ever. Yeah, uh, he was definitely uh, one of my best friends. And uh, like I said, when I was, uh, young in the sport and meeting people that were 10 years older than me and kind of helping me see uh, how to be a, an adult human. Uh, he was one of the ones who was uh, uh, just the best at that. Yeah. And um, we were, we were kind of, when we met, we were sort of both in the same spot where my father had just passed away of cancer and his father had just passed away of cancer. Uh, and we were both trying to learn how to free fly. <laughs> and 
we just uh, hit it off right away. And, and, you know, Donnie, like he was uh, super adventurous and trying to go out and do shit that most people his age didn't really like have the energy to do anymore. So he would like, he had this thing where we would, we would leave uh, at like midnight to go up to Tahoe to sleep in the parking lot and be the first ones on the slopes in the morning. (laughs) And like, he couldn't find anybody else to do that. So he's like, Hey man, you want to come with me? And like, I was freaking 19, 20 years old. So I had the energy for that. And we did that several times, and we just formed a really close friendship yeah. over that time. And I uh, just love that guy and miss him every day. Oh, yeah, man. You know, I mean, that that's uh, that, that's the, the double-edged sword of skydiving, though, right? Because, I mean, I never would have met Donnie Brown if it weren't for skydiving, and I never would have had to deal with the loss of Donnie Brown if it weren't for skydiving. So it's... I, I wouldn't give up a second of any of it, even having had the outcome that we did, but it still sucks. Yeah, it is a double-edged sword, man. But uh, yeah, like you said, live hard, play hard. Yeah, have the, Well, and, and uh, honestly, the the he was the epitome of the, the, uh, the best of skydiving because I've never met a more giving person ever. You know, he and I became good friends and I took him on a bunch of flights and he welcomed me into his home a number of times and, and helped me out with a bunch of stuff. And I'll never forget when I was getting ready to, to uh, uh, just fly full time. I wasn't shooting video anymore. And I had my prized camera helmet that I'd had forever and it was all dinged up. And he was this amazing uh, painter. He did the, you know, the cars and everything. And I tossed him my helmet and said, hey, could you do me a favor and just toss a coat of black paint on this? I'll, you know, whatever it'll cost. I just want it to look decent when I put it up on my shelf. And I thought he forgot about it because like two months go by and I hadn't heard anything. And then I walk into the pilot office and I didn't know he was hiding around the corner waiting for my reaction. But I opened the door and this pristine custom amazing looking fucking helmet is sitting on my desk and I'm like ready to burst into tears. It was so fucking gorgeous. And there's Donnie with one of those classic Donnie hugs going, dude, I had time. Here you go. (laughs) It was just amazing. Yeah. He was always there to help out with a paint job. And like, that wasn't his favorite, favorite thing to do was like paint people's helmets because he didn't want to get into like having to do that for a bunch of people. But uh, if you were a friend, he would definitely do it for you. And uh, he did, he did one for me as well. And I remember like, all right, I'm going to get it all prepped for him so he doesn't have to deal with the sanding bullshit. But I'm not a painter and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> right. So I sanded it and I, ha- I handed it to him. He's all like, uh, this is not ready to paint yet. Hold on. And so he did the whole prep and sanded it clean and everything and right. uh, made, made me a nice, sweet paint job with a stripe down the middle and everything. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's fucking great. I think he painted some other plain parts for you at one point maybe. He, he and, uh, did, definitely- man. Did you ever hear the story behind what uh, what I got him to do with that particular part? Uh, I don't know if I know the full story. So, well, I mean, obviously it, it shouldn't have had to have been painted in the first place, but he had to do a, a, a little minor uh, paint job and repair on a, uh, on a piece of uh, uh, aviation equipment. And it was a piece that you wouldn't normally be able to see the top of this uh, when it's back on the airplane where it should be. And so he painted three amazing ghost flames in different colors that you could only see from above if the sun was hitting it the right way. And I thought that was the coolest fucking thing in the world because chances are that plane is still out there with those ghost flames that nobody has ever seen except for me and Donnie, <laughs> which I thought was oh, the coolest awesome. thing ever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that was Yeah, that was a bit of an oops day. <laughs> <laughs> we want to go too much detail into that one. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll let that one go. Well, after I'm done flying for a living, we'll do that. <laughs> 
So um, tell me about uh, um, you. You've obviously obviously pushed on a lot harder because in between the time that I've seen you last, you became a member of a very successful swoop team. Yeah. Um, so sometime after uh, all the free fly teams kind of uh, went away, um, I, I started really well. Actually, even before that, um, getting into canopy piloting mm. and just realizing that even though uh, no matter what was else was going on at the drop zone or, or who else was out there that I could go grab a canopy and, uh, and have some fun by myself. Um, and it really just kind of grew on me. Once I got over the, the fear of like, uh, well, let me step back. So like all those guys that taught me how to free fly back in the day, uh, mm. Evan and Mad style, those guys, like I remember when they first got their velos and I remember having the feeling of like, why would you add all that extra, uh, uh, risk into skydiving. Sure. I remember specifically ha- having that thought. And, you know, as you progress and you get more comfortable under canopy, your mind obviously changes. And I remember the first time I was on like a, I don't know, it was like a Sabre 120 or something and just turning at the ground and feeling the difference of speed than my other giant canopy I had. And then realizing like, oh, okay, like once I learn how to control this, uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. Right. And I never looked back. I never looked back from there. I just, uh, Flying a parachute to me is the most fun thing that a, a human can do, sure. and I'm sure I'm a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I just I got into it, and I I started going to nationals, realizing that I was going to learn a lot of stuff. And this is like uh, U.S. nationals a test event before it was even actually uh, a real event. Sure, um, I think I came came in third place. I was like 2004, and I still like barely knew what I was doing. But because it was such a young sport then, uh, even as a, an amateur, we were allowed to go to the World Cups because they just needed bodies to fill the planes. Sure. So because of that, I, I got to go to the second and third World Cup of canopy piloting. And uh, that just kind of launched me into like, I can become a pro and do this like these other guys who are total badasses. And uh, back then, that was like uh, the Icarus and PD factory teams were just brand new, getting started. Sure. Uh, but they were like the heroes of the sport. Uh, they were super willing to, to help out and, uh, and, and teach you stuff. And uh, many years later, after I'd been competing for a few years, um, I met Kurt, uh, Kurt Bartholomew at uh, U.S. Nationals in Texas. And he was, he was young, too, and just getting started. I think it was his first Nationals, and he came in seventh place, I think. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay, if, you're, if you can come in seventh place, your first Nationals, like, this guy's going to be good. Sure. And uh, he never looked back. I think he's won the majority of nationals since that year. Um, and um, we went to Big Boys uh, Pants competition in Colorado, and he was mentioning that they were looking to add a, another teammate. Um, and then after that nationals, uh, he, he and Nick uh, invited me on the team and, and Jeannie. And um, we, it's been almost 10 years now. And like I said, time flies. Like I didn't Fucking even realize hell. it's been 10 years. So that's but, uh, so it's been wild. A big Dude, I still yeah. and, uh, I still think of Alter Ego as a young team and it's 10 fucking years. 10 years and one of the most winning, not not on my behalf, but because of those guys kick ass. And uh it's just uh it's been like they're, they're extremely professional and and it's been a pleasure to to see that that side of people who are just uh take it very seriously and um and work extremely hard to be very good and then sure. are successful because of their hard work. And sure. uh, it's when I was on free five teams before that, it was more like fun. You know what I mean? Uh, it, just to see people uh, 
so professional and so successful is is really awesome to see. I have sure. a lot of respect for those guys and, and Jeannie. Well, now, do you think that uh, um, that the level of professionalism and the seriousness that goes into the canopy piloting stuff is a direct result of the extra danger involved? Yeah, I think so. But I think it's just the mindset that you approach it with. Like, uh, if if you're not uh, approaching it with the because of the danger and being serious about it, you're probably not going to last long. Right. Um, but if you want if you want to be at the top and be one of the best in the world or the best in the world, then um, you have to approach it that way, or you just won't make it. And I I always kind of was just sort of going along, having fun, and and being good because I had a lot of experience doing it, but I, I was never going to make it to be number one in the world without uh, making it like a mission, you know what I mean? And sure. approaching it as a business, approaching it as, as a, a real, uh, a real thing. And I, I think that watching how they approach it uh, made me realize uh, that I wasn't approaching it with enough uh, seriousness and, and that their success is largely driven from their, the way they approach it. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it, uh, it's almost, uh, um, manic. I mean, they're, that's, that's everything. They, they are 100% all in, whether it's the competition or even training other people, because I know they do a lot of flight school stuff now too, don't they? Yeah, they have, uh, they do a lot of coaching, coaching courses all around the world. And, um, and again, just the way they set up those courses is extremely professional and, um, I, you've seen a lot of people from the free fly days try to make a business out of being a free fly coach or, or whatever. And, um, they do it like a real business and it's, uh, it's a model for if, if, if anyone else is looking to how to make, make a business coaching in the sport. Um, I would say that they have a, a model of how to do it correctly. Sure. Um, well, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, um, Firing. We, we got started in the adolescence of the new um, era of skydiving, again, free flying, and, and uh, we both came up as canopies were really starting to kick off. You know, I mean, uh, I, I was uh, just getting started when Stiletto came out, and you had to prove you had 500 jumps to, you know, to even touch one of those things, which was a fucking brilliant marketing scheme. <laughs> brilliant. Um, you know, but you've seen this this amazing progression, and I think now it's kind of the – you know, almost the beginning of the adult years in skydiving, it's become, you know, a real fucking business and people are, are, yeah. are you know, carving out real futures for themselves. It's not just a sport that you're going to do for a little while. If you decide, you can make a life out of it. Yeah, and it's 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 hard, too. You know, you got to um, not just be good at at the sport, but you also have to be good with people. You have to be good with business. Um so it's really like you have to be a, a really well-rounded person to, to pull it off successfully. And yeah. I, I, I don't think I had that uh, vision when I was younger. No, no, I don't think most people do. Although what the way that you're <laughs> doing it is just as fucking hard because you're having to balance the real world with our world, which arguably is nothing anywhere near like the real world. Uh, and that's got to be kind of tough too, right? Because you have to be an adult <laughs> some of the time. And a lot of skydivers, <laughs> even though they have to be professional in the sport, they don't have to be adults. It's difficult when, when you're trying to compete at the top of the world level in campy piloting because it's something that you have to uh, continuously do all the time. And uh, with, when you're competing against people who jump seven days a week, uh, it's it's hard to keep up. And I sort of rely on just the fact that I've been doing it for almost 20 years. Sure. That's my, my, uh, how I can sort of keep up. And uh, it's, it's extremely difficult. And like when you're jumping 
these really small parachutes that are highly loaded. If you take a month off, man, you put that thing back on and it's a little scary. It takes a little getting back used to. Yeah. And so you have to be able to, to maintain that level of comfort. Uh, because if you can't, especially in a competition, uh, and when you're training, you can't like hold back or you're just not going to win. Sure. Like you have to be charging a uh, full, full bore and you can't do that safely if you're not doing it all the time. And so it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the hardest things for me for sure. Yeah, man. And that's a very fucking thin line. I mean, I, I think I had taken, I don't know, three or four months off. I hadn't jumped my sport canopy when I was uh, flying for Ray, flying the, the pack and I was busy training. And of course he was beating me like a dog. So I was flying my ass off and I had trained Zach, uh, to fly the Cessna and jumped out on my sport rig as his sign off and, you know, hooked my, my Velo 96 like I'd been on it the day before, uh, lost the feel for it, stayed on the rears too long and broke my fucking tailbone in, in front of Billy Sharman and his dad. <laughs> And, and then, you know, of course, Ray being the big sweetheart that he is gave me the afternoon off before I had to fly for the next fucking month sitting on a broken tailbone uh, in the back. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Lesson learned, though, right? I mean, uh, I was lucky it wasn't worse than that because I kind of forgot. Oh, wait a second. You know, I mean, by the standards of canopies at that time, a velo might not have been the badass in the sky anymore, but it was still a very high performance canopy. And I didn't oh, show yeah. it the respect that it deserved, and it fucking bit me, you know, and I deserved it. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't take a small parachute to break you, you know. You you really need to be comfortable with, with what you're flying, yeah. um, no matter what no matter what it is. I tell that to, to anyone. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and currency in the sport, like my wife and I talk about it all the time, it's like uh, the, the less you jump, the less safe you are. Like the more you jump, the safer it is because that currency is everything. Sure. Now, how, how is it uh, jumping between the two of you now? Because, I mean, it's not just you <laughs> and her anymore. You got a young one now. Yeah, so it kind of changes uh, as as he gets older. At first, we could sort of like stick him in the corner and he'd sleep most of the time right. and we could trade off jumps. And so we'd both go out together and then she would jump, I would jump, and we'd trade off throughout the day. And that's evolved to uh, uh, she'll go out one day, then I'll go out the next day. Uh, but our son's older and running around and, and wants more attention, of course. Uh, so uh, it's getting harder and harder. So we're kind of do one day a weekend and then one of us will do the next weekend one day. Right. Um, but we're kind of at the point now, it sort of feels like, like I said, my dad quit, quit jumping. Not that I'm going to quit jumping, but, um, the point where it's like, it's important to spend time with our child. And uh, so we have to make that time no matter what. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's less than it was. And that's where that, that currency thing comes back in. But, um, uh, every time we go, I make sure that I, put on the small parachute and make sure that I can stay comfortable with it. And, sure. um, yeah, and we keep charging. Like I've, I've had thoughts about, Oh, maybe we'll just quit for a little while. But Jesse is, uh, she's nowhere near that, that thought sure. yet. I don't think she, she wants to jump as much or more than I do. And, um, so we're, we're going to be around for a while still. <laughs> well, and I mean, you guys are both kind of cutting edge. You and the canopy stuff and her with the free flying. I mean, she's got a couple of world records now, doesn't she? Yeah, I think adding up all her world records, I, I think she has like seven or eight. She's, uh, she's been on quite a few, uh, maybe even more than that, um, upright records, women's records, and overall big way world records. Um, she's uh, come a really long way since, since we met and has very little to do with me helping her. Like she's, she's just charged super hard. Like her, her, her charge reminds me of when I was, 20 and 21 like she just uh can't get enough of it that's awesome 
That's awesome. Now, so you guys, how long have you been married now? Uh, five and a half years. Okay, so you guys got married. You've got the the newborn now. I know a lot of married couples in the sport that have have, uh, had different reactions towards the sport once they've got a family going. And I've had um, some couples in the sport have been, we won't jump in the same load or we won't go on the same day just in case. Um, And they won't take the risk of both parents being on one plane or something like that. And others are like, the sport hasn't changed. We're still going to be safe. We're still going to do those things. We just have to make sure we're taking care of the kid as well. So did you guys ever have to sit down and have that conversation or did you already know where you were at before the, the kids even came in? Yeah, I think we, we talked about it a little bit, but I think we were on the same page. Like the sport hasn't changed. Like I, I, obviously that thought's going to be in your head when we're on the same plane together. Um, but now it's so rare that we're on the same plane <laughs> together. Like we, we, we're looking for the opportunity to jump together. Sure. So, um, so yeah, we, we don't really think that we need to not be on the same plane or not be at the drop zone. Um, and it, we think it's important, especially that we both work other, other jobs that, um, we stay happy, happy humans and happy parents and do the things that are important to us. And, sure. and so making, making the time to skydive is, is still important. Oh, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, it's been such a huge and still is such a huge part of your life. Now looking down the road with the kids is, uh, is skydiving something you're going to encourage or discourage, or you're just going to see what happens. Um, I think that we just see what happens. Like I, I would, I don't want to be, I, neither one of us want to be the kind of parent who's going to try to tell our kid what to do. Uh, not that that would work anyway. <laughs> um, so like, I think that, uh, we'll just let him find it on his own if he does. And if he doesn't, that's fine too. But, uh, I do when he'll like, well, he, he knows what skydiving is and he, he kind of talk about it every once in a while when he sees it. Um, and he was like, Oh, I'll go skydiving one day. And like, I do feel a little bit of, slight fear, you know, of like, oh my God, I don't want my kid to get hurt. Right. But uh, at the same time, like, that's not, you're going to let him do what he's going to do it's and encourage him and help him. Isn't it so strange as soon as it's your kid, that, that mentality that you never thought you'd had, like my daughter's done a couple of tandems now, uh, and I wasn't too freaked out about her doing the, you know, one or two jumps, but the idea of her becoming a skydiver just kind of gives me a weird feeling, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. and it's, I don't, I, I can't really nail it down because I really do think it's safer than a lot of the things that she could do. But of course, I suppose because we've been in the sport for so long, we've seen some things, you know, and we've lost friends. And um, I think I'd be almost as worried that she would have the losses that, you know, people like you and I have suffered over injuries herself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't really thought about that so much, but I, I like, I think it, like your daughter's older. So you kind of know what, what type of human she is. Like, sure. I feel like, I don't know if he's going to be like uh super gung ho and not careful. Like, I don't know what his mentality is going to be like when he gets older. And like, that's the thing that, that would scare me the most is if like he thinks, Oh, I got this. It's not, it's not hard or <laughs> right. it's not scary. And then that's the people that, that get hurt. Right. And uh, so I just really want to like understand who he's going to be as an adult to kind of, uh, 
that will determine how afraid I am of him, Scott. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I actually just was uh, on the podcast having a conversation with Olga Namova, who's a, a canopy pilot as well, and uh, um, she had to overcome the fact that she was a little too gung-ho and, and had a bunch of injuries that she kind of downplayed the severity of, and, and that would have always been my worry um, because I'm a big fan of the fear that uh, I've had to deal with in the sport because it's kept me safe. You know, I'm – I. Yeah, I applaud it. I wouldn't get rid of that the fear that I've had to deal with for anything because if anything else, it's made me safer and less complacent and more um, able to recognize when I'm going down the wrong path. So I think you're right. Knowing, knowing whether or not he's going to be balls out or be able to take it mellow is, is an important thing for sure. Yeah, that fear is important. It really is. It uh, keeps you in tune with what you need to be doing. Well, especially with stuff like what you're doing, I mean, uh, the the canopy pilot is, the canopy piloting on these these small wings is so intense and it is so precise that you've got to not just be able to keep that fear in check, but recognize that it's there to keep you safe. Yeah, and you and you find yourself in situations like in competitions where, um, like. Hey, the load's going, you, you got to go. And it's maybe conditions that you would probably, if you were just having fun at your home drop zone, would probably just decide not to jump in. Um, and, and you have to be able to, obviously you have that fear at that point, um, but to be able to keep that in check and, and still be able to charge hard. And, and uh, that's, where, that's where it gets, uh, I think the hardest or the most scary is when you're like, I probably wouldn't jump in this, but it's competition and they're saying, let's go, so let's go. <laughs> right and uh it's well, an interesting uh interesting feeling yeah well and i've obviously not in competition but i've been i've been pressured into situations to to make jumps and conditions in uh, that i would not normally do and you get away with it um obviously i'm still here so clearly i got away with it but uh in retrospect you sit on the couch that night going oh jesus and it's weird because <laughs> you get this kind of backwards fear of Oh my God, all the shit that could have gone wrong and I just got lucky. I don't like the feeling of just getting lucky. That terrifies me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest fear is like I've had a few injuries, uh, never in situations like I just explained, but um, my biggest fear is, is breaking my leg again or getting hurt in some way that's, uh, it's just going to be a huge problem. So uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more safe when I can these days. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just when you got to go, you got to go and sure. you got to rely on, on your experience. Now, um, obviously like everybody else, I'm sure you haven't been able to do a whole lot of jumping, um, with the COVID stuff going on, uh, especially being in Northern California, you guys have had COVID, um, and then the fires and all this stuff. I, have you been able to jump much at all lately? Uh, way less than normal, but, um, uh, aside from the fires, uh, our drop zone's been handling the COVID stuff really well. Um, they're they're pretty good about making people wear masks. We have a, a now an outdoor packing area where people can not have to be in the hangar. Um, they're taking temperatures uh, when you go to manifest first thing in the morning. Awesome. They're uh, sanitizing sanitizing the plane after every load or every two loads. Um, so it feels as safe as it can feel. And actually, when I've been out there jumping, uh, I don't feel like uh, we're being irresponsible or uh, or unsafe with COVID. Uh, so it's been as good as it can be. And um, yeah, I think the thing that's been hindering us from jumping mostly is, is just uh, the time with, with our son Axel and, uh, and the fires. 
the fires took out probably a solid month of this the late end of the summer here. Yeah, for sure. Pre-podcast, we were talking when I was flying for Ray, and and uh, I think it was the first year I was flying actively in the pack, so I was a little bit more uh, um, more mellow in regard to the conditions I would fly in. And they were having fires in Berryessa that had the whole uh, San Joaquin Valley just covered in smoke. And I had loads that wanted to go up. And I think I got up to about 5,000 feet and lost sight of the ground. And I'm like, yeah, no. you know. And I know this has been 10 times what that was. You had said there was a day that the sun didn't even come out? Yeah. Yeah, we just uh, woke up one morning and the sky was kind of orange, but like black orange. And uh, it just stayed that way all day. Like Jesus. the sun never came out. People's porch lights uh, stayed on all day. You know, their uh, light sensors. Um, it was, it was apocalyptic for sure. It was really strange. Um, yeah, and even a... when it, go ahead, go ahead. even when it uh, wasn't that bad, uh, it's, it's tough. Like the smoke layer is going to hang out at like, like you said, five, 6,000 feet. And, uh, <laughs> even if you, you can't, you don't want to fly around in that. Even if you can technically skydive, you're breathing horrible air. It's oh yeah. Not, not good for for the pilot, especially up there the most. No, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's been, uh, you know, seeing it all from a distance and, and watching it on the news and stuff, I'm just shaking my head going, Jesus, man, this is this, this year just has been a little off the chain. And well, and it, it's postponed so many things, too. It put nationals off, and, and uh, the Project 19 was yeah. supposed to be this year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesse just had a, a meeting a couple a week or so ago with uh, with a lot of the ladies doing that, and it sounded like there was people from all around the world, and everybody sort of had a, a different story, but all of it was was we're not jumping nearly enough to go do a world record right now, sure, or we're not jumping at all in some places, sure. Um, so it was interesting to kind of uh, hear those stories uh, from other people around the world. Um, and see that we're actually fairly lucky here in Northern California where we can keep jumping um, with, with the safeguards um, aside from the fires. Sure. Well, and it's it's good that uh, um, to hear that the drop zones are taking precautions like that. And I know that there was a huge discussion uh, about the nationals and people were getting very fired up on oh, both man. sides of it. Um <laughs> I was really yeah. happy to see that they made the decision that they made. I actually just had Steve Hubbard from the USPA on the podcast, and uh, um, I had said to him, whether or not they could have done it safely, the optics of having the Nationals during all this would have been horrible. It would have just made skydivers look even worse to people that don't understand the sport. So I was all behind canceling, if nothing else, just because, come on, you know, skydiving is finally getting to the point where uh, it's a business, you know, and, and people are, are uh, looking favorably most of the time at it. And I think that would have done a negative to it. But I know a lot of people were much more fired up for many more reasons than just what it was going to look like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was a unfortunate kind of back and forth there. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people on the side of, of not doing it were just felt like USPA wasn't really giving a lot of information and right. kind of making decisions like in, in, in a black box. Right. Um, and, and that was part of people's frustration, uh, for sure. And uh, the, the idea that they would do it and uh, some people would be coming from states that were quarantined and it, it would be very un from my personal opinion anyway, uh, hard to make it fair when you have some people who have to take two extra weeks off of work to quarantine uh, when they're returning or whatever. It was. There's just a lot of different dynamics that sure. were going into it that, that was going to make it a, a, a strange year. Um, 
So I, I'm glad that it went the way it did. And I totally feel for all the people who work in the sport who are having a hard time. Um, and it's just like we were talking about before the podcast, like there's just this dichotomy of, of people who are able to still work and make money and people who aren't. And uh, that's tough, right? You've got to take care of people who, who can't work and get them back to work as soon as possible. Um, so it's just like communication and keeping everybody on the same page is important. And that's really not happening at all. Uh, at the national or state or even in, within the skydiving community. Sure. Uh, so it just, it, it just turned into a, a lot of arguments that were unfortunate and, and I wish never happened. Well, and I think, <laughs> and again, before the podcast, we were talking about uh, everybody's kind of on edge and has been for quite some time. And, and uh, regardless of what direction your uh, political views are or anything like that, I'd hop online onto social media ready for a fucking fight. Like, bring it on. Let's go. I'm going to smear somebody with my knowledge because that's just, you know, everybody, everybody's fucking righteous right now. Right. And and uh, I finally just was like, oh, wait a second. This is fucking toxic. Let's just talk about cool skydiving and shit. And so I've kind of wiped social media off for the most part, just talking about skydiving. But of course, then the whole nationals debate came on and I find myself getting getting in, um, you know, pretty heated discussions over stuff in the sport that, you know, a year ago would have been, you know, minor, <laughs> you know, but all of a sudden it's uh, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think people are, are just generally a little bit more fired up this, this year than normal. These yeah, days. We're ready to um, fight. And it, it is, it is toxic. Like, uh, Facebook is nothing but, but bad vibes really, uh, 99% of it. Yeah. And, uh, I've tried to diminish my, my output or input into that toxicity for sure. I think I've seen some people that I respect say something about just people a little too willing to be an asshole on Facebook. And I think that that's probably fallen into that category. And so I just pulled back quite a bit from that. Oh, me too. uh, And it just relieved the stress. Like why, why wake up with the stress of like having to deal with that? It's it's ridiculous. and It's not important. Life. <laughs> no, I was doing the same thing and I would find myself being proud of having schooled someone, I thought, with whatever my opinion was and and uh, because I was good with words and this person wasn't that clearly I showed them and then I'd go to bed just going, <laughs> I'm a dick. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need to do this. Let's just, let's focus on the, the fun stuff. And that was, uh, um, actually when the, uh, uh, the first time we did the drunken podcast, uh, or not the drunken podcast, but the hot sauce podcast. And we all ate a bunch of insane hot sauces and did stupid shit. Cause it was fun and it was skydivers being skydivers again. And so it was really fun to get into this, which is why I've been really seeking out people, especially from the greatest times that I've had at the different areas, guys like you and, and skydance and NorCal and, and Cross Keys and all those because they were such great times when we didn't give a shit about all the rest of this stuff. And it's nice to kind of get back there. Yeah, you know, I, I always feel like humans have, and I appreciate you saying that, thanks. Um, but humans have sort of a short short memory span. So I always hold out this hope that like in three years, this is going to all just seem like a distant memory and we're going to be back to the good times again. Like hopefully that is the case. I hope so. Or at least a much better version of the, whatever the new normal is going to turn out to be both in the real world and in the skydiving world as well. And hopefully, you know, 2021, we're going to be able to go ahead with nationals and all the canopy piloting competitions and project 19 and all the really fucking cool shit that's coming along. um, And we can kind of at least put part of this behind us, which would be really nice. 
Yeah, I agree. Hopefully it's just, uh, very shortly as a distant memory. Yeah, man. Now, for, for people that are listening, how do they keep track of you as an athlete? How do they keep track of uh, Alter Ego and not just the competing side of it, but the canopy courses and all that? How do, how do people find you and the team? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll post stuff on Facebook uh, every so often. It's just the weekend stuff that we're doing. Um, but if you're interested in uh, keeping up with Alter Ego, there's the Alter Ego Facebook page, and there's also a uh, uh, teamalterego.com and you can get information about coaching courses there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much how you keep track of us. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, and hopefully you're hanging under the nylon competing here really soon. And hopefully Jesse's able to, uh, continue driving hard with the free flying and doing the project 19 stuff, man. It's super fucking cool to catch up with you after all this time. It's been great, man. I've really appreciated it. Absolutely. Hopefully the the smoke finally clears for good and we're back in blue skies. Yeah, man. Skies are blue today, so (laughs) thank you for looking up. Awesome. All right, and take care, man. Good talking to you, Dean. Have a good one. See ya. Fucking boom. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can, brought to you as always by the greatest magazine in the known fucking universe. That's right, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com to subscribe to the magazine if you don't already, to check out all the cool shit, to send in your pictures and your article ideas. Also, the Extreme Sports Collective, pussfoot.com. If you don't know what it is, type in the email or type in the uh, website and check it out, pussfoot.com. Summit ParachuteSystems.com, Jarrett Martin, the badass, building incredible pilot rigs as well as giving rigging courses. You're going to want to check him out on SummitParachuteSystems.com. And me, I'm the fucking pilot. You can catch me at thefuckingpilot.net where you can get every uh, one of the podcasts that we've done as well as links to both the books. That's right, The Fucking Pilot Book and The Accidental Stripper, both available in digital and print. We'll see you next time.